Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins and welcome to another episode of the New Grad Radio Podcast, the podcast following the experiences of a new graduate nurse starting into the intensive care unit. So welcome to the third episode of the End of Year Reflections and today's episode is going to be all about mechanical ventilation. Now this is a topic that I'm so excited to bring to you guys today. Um, mechanical ventilation is something that when I, before I even started in ICU, I was just getting so excited to start learning about. And I remember the first day, which was in one of the simulation labs in our preceptorship period. So before I even stepped foot onto the floor and even remotely even looked at a patient, we're all brought, all the grads were brought together in a room and were introduced to the ventilator because the, the ventilator itself is something that is so at the heart and core of intensive care nursing. Uh, but saying that though, the ventilator and the concept of mechanical ventilation is something that is so foreign to anyone starting into intensive care. Um, it's not something that we go into really at all in our undergrad at uni. Uh, so when you started looking at it for the first time, it can be very confronting because it's just something that is such a foreign concept to look at. Um, so I guess to start with, this is probably the probably the tenth take I'd say of trying to make this episode today. Uh, there is, and the reason why that is is that there is just so much to talk about when it comes to mechanical ventilation. And all of the previous takes I've made, I've gone into all of these different tangents and gone into all of this detail about the reasons why we're ventilating someone and what's the differences between a failure to oxygenate versus a failure to ventilate. And it was just went into so much depth into all of these different avenues that the episodes are going way too long. And I think it's losing the gist of why I'm trying to make this episode in the first place. And that's to provide a, an update of, of how I've gone over the last 12 months when it comes to mechanical ventilation. So I'll try to make this probably 11th take <laughs> a bit more concise and condensed um, and to try to get to the point a bit more. So when I, again, when I, there is a lot to learn about mechanical ventilation. Um, but to start off with, I want to talk about the ventilator itself. Uh, I first was thinking, okay, the ventilator, it's got to be this big monstrous piece of machinery that's really highly sophisticated. And I guess, yes, it's very sophisticated. I'll give it that, but it doesn't have to be a big monstrous machine. Uh, there's two different types of ventilators that we use in this unit that I'm working in, in the intensive care. Um, they're both doing the exact same job. It's just that the interface is a bit different and they call things by different names, but ideally it's, it's, pretty much doing the, the same job. Um, and so the, the ventilator itself, it, it's connect, it has a connection port at the back, which connects to oxygen. It ha- goes and comes to a, a ventilator. So it's, it's got this screen that's on it, which is a highly sophisticated touch screen looking thing. Um, it can be a wet or a dry circuit. So a, a wet circuit basically means that we're humidifying the air uh, so we don't irritate the lungs over a long period of time. All, we don't always have to humidify the air if the patient's only going to be on the ventilator for a very short period of time. Um, and then you have these tubes that basically connect from the ventilator. They come and then connect onto either the endotracheal tube or onto a tracheostomy. Um, and pretty much like then it, that's, that's pretty much it. Like that's the ventilator in a nutshell. Like it's not this monstrous piece of all these gizmos and stuff hanging off from every corner. It's a pretty condensed little machine. 
And also we have a portable ventilator as well. So it doesn't have all of the sophisticated touchscreens and as much visual buttons and everything that you can go into, but the portable ventilator is what we use to be able to transport a patient down to CT or to MRI or anywhere outside of the intensive care unit. Um, so again, that was pretty eye-opening, one thing. The next thing that I found pretty eye-opening as well is the, the reason why we're ventilating someone. Um, so I always thought that, number one, like you had to be completely sedated you'd be almost paralyzed a lot of the time to be able to facilitate having this tube down your throat and this machine breathing for you. Uh, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it is, um, but not always. You can have a patient, and this is something that I found pretty surreal, you can have a patient that's sitting in bed, sitting up in bed, reading the newspaper, which has happened a couple of times now. Um, they're able to write on a board. They're comp- what we'd call completely GCS 15. Um, they have no sedation on board and they've got really nothing running at the back to, at all. So it's, it's, when you see that for the first time, that, that was really like, what is happening? Like, how can you have this tube in your mouth? Not all patients can be like that though. Um, some, some patients like that can handle the tube in their throat, no, no worries at all. While other patients, as soon as they even start remotely waking up, they will start coughing and coughing and coughing on that tube because it's just so irritating in the back of their throat, which uh, I, compl- I would completely understand. If you could imagine having a big tube forced down your trachea, I'm pretty sure that would be irritating to you as well. So um, that's one thing. Um, and then like, I'd always thought, okay, the ventilator is like, what is it doing for the patient? It's breathing for the patient. Now, sometimes, and a lot of the time, that is correct. It's, it is breathing for the patient. Um, there are modes for which we set that's delivering the size of the breath, how often it's breathing for the patient, what oxygen concentration we're delivering, how fast the air is being pushed into the lungs and over how long would we like the expiratory phase to be. There is how, how easy do we want it to make so if the patient does take a spontaneous breath, how easy do we want it to make so they're able to trigger that breath so that the ventilator will then go, oh my God, okay, it's the patient trying to take a breath, let's deliver that full breath that we're trying to deliver. That's one concept to the ventilation and that's what I was always thinking that we breathe for the patient. That's not always the case. There are some times where we're trying to wean the patient off of where giving all the breath, so it's a passive process. Uh, so then the patient is, we switch it over to a mode where the patient now is the one dictating how big their breaths are going to be and how often that they're breathing those breaths. Instead, we can have it so we're making breathing in general easier for the patient. We're giving them a little bit of extra support with each breath. We're still able to titrate the oxygen levels that they need. We're able to make it a bit easier. Because if you can imagine, you all, if, you're on, if you've got a breathing tube in your mouth, it's a very small diameter of that of that endotracheal tube or all that tracheostomy that's there. Um, so if you can imagine, it's like trying to breathe through a straw. Like it, you'd have to use a lot of effort to try to suck through that tiny little straw. So we, we increase this pressure support in order to facilitate it a lot easier for the patient to breathe in. So that's another concept which I was a bit like, oh, okay, fair enough. That's a, that's a bit extra to learn, fair enough. Um, but I guess when you, I guess I'll, I'll take it right back again. So when you're first starting, it is completely normal 
to not really have any idea what the hell's going on. Like it's such a different concept. Uh, and over time, you start to get more experience and I started doing more of my Facebooks. I started doing these assignments. I would start to see patients who weren't fitting the norm anymore. Like you would start using settings on the ventilator that needed to be manipulated to, to facilitate effective uh, ventilation for this patient. Um, so with time and time and time and then using it all the time and start looking into it a bit more, things started to make a lot more sense. Uh, to start with, we were taught the absolute basics in order to safely start caring for a patient with a tube in their mouth and mechanical ventilation on board. And we'd always have nurses next door who were always there to help. You have educators there coming around looking at you. It's, uh, it's quite, it's, it is quite intimidating when you first start using it. Uh, but a lot of the patients I started on were patients who were very heavily sedated and the ventilator was doing most of the work for you. And then as you start getting a bit more experience, you start seeing the patients who are a bit more alert and you start looking out for the signs that the, the patient is um, ready to start switching over to a mode where they can start breathing for themselves or uh, maybe they're a bit dysynchronous so they're not able to... That they're, they're not breathing in tune with the ventilator. Maybe that's not, might be starting to breathing up. Maybe that's because of pain. Maybe their sedation's not high enough. There is just so much extra things to, to take on board. And you start learning all this stuff with time. So I guess before, I guess one thing I'll say is before starting an ICU, I was thinking of buying a textbook. And I'm like, oh, you know, what I'll do, I'll go off and get a really sophisticated textbook on mechanical ventilation. I'll start reading that from front to back. And uh, I'm really glad that that's something that I didn't do. And the reason I say that is because to start with, a lot of the stuff that I was reading, like I was starting to read up on things such as compliance of the lungs and things like that. And I just, when I was reading it, I just didn't really understand it. And it wasn't until I had started to get a database of patients and I had started using the ventilator over and over again and started seeing how we can manipulate it to, for certain reasons. And then also we started to learn a bit more about arterial blood gases. So looking at, continuously looking at not only our oxygen and our carbon dioxide levels, and you start learning things like, okay, if, if their carbon dioxide is starting to to get way too high so their carbon dioxide levels are going over that 45 well maybe now we can start increasing the respiratory rate so you can start breathing off that carbon dioxide a bit more so that's a little troubleshooting measure that we do and then you take the next arterial blood gas and you'll see the carbon dioxide starts to come down and you're like oh okay like we did something with the ventilator we manipulated it to now be a bit more effective for this patient so not only do you learn about those two, the oxygen and carbon dioxide, then you start learning about bicarbonate. And you start learning about the buffer system and start understanding why their blood gases and it's starting to become deranged with their, is it a metabolic acidosis? Is it a respiratory alkalosis? Is it compensated versus non-compensated? Again, I'm going into a bit too much detail here, but these are things that to start with, you're looking at it going, okay, what's the oxygen and carbon dioxide? And that's about the extent of what you're really doing. But then you start getting more experience and you start being able to get more pieces of the puzzle. 
And then it starts to click and it starts to become a lot, make a lot more sense. And things that I would have looked at in this textbook to start with and started to read about just would not have clicked and it would not have made a lot of sense. And it's not until you started getting months and months of experience into it that it starts to become a lot easier to understand. And that's just mechanical ventilation in a nutshell. When you start using it a lot more, you start doing a lot more reading into the subject. When you have experience with it, that starts to make a lot more sense. So I think the biggest thing in regards to this concept I'm talking about now, we had these fundamental classes before we even touched a patient. And we're introduced to concepts such as pressure supports and um, ramped waveforms and, and all of these things that I just, at the start, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I had no idea what the purpose of pressure support was to start with. Uh, the, there's a few settings on the ventilator. I'm just like, I could not get my head around it at all. Um, and then we had another education session about three months in, and it was just before my three month CPAT. And we pretty much went through an identical session. It was a lot of the same concepts we just rehashed again. And all of the grads, uh, again, I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for everyone else, but we, we came out of that session, even though it was pretty much the same material, we had such a deeper understanding of the settings and the rationale of what we're doing with the ventilator because we had a, a database of patients behind us and we started to use it a bit more and we started to play around with the ventilator with different settings and troubleshoot for different patients, that that information that was delivered back then, and when you delivered it now, it clicked and it started to make a lot more sense. And even now, 12 months into it, these last few weeks even, a lot of these concepts where I struggled with only just months ago, have now just clicked and they're starting to make a lot more sense. So I guess that's the biggest thing with mechanical ventilation. I'll keep it there, guys, because I've already gone almost 15 minutes into it now. But um, that's, that is mechanical ventilation in a nutshell. Don't be discouraged when you first start that if you don't really understand what's super happening because I think that's a pretty normal reaction. It's, uh, you start to see that there's, you know, you, you sedate the patient for different reasons you start to get a bit of deeper understanding with time. So anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any more questions or like me to go deeper into anything, please let me know. Uh, you can contact me over at the New Grad Radio Facebook page. Um, anyway, guys, I'll talk to you next time and there's still more episodes to come. Catch you guys.